0: Good morning. We're glad you're here this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We're glad you're here. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The men of David's mighty men are memorizing Colossians 1. um, And when they don't, I understand that yesterday many of you... uh, had to do quite a number of push-ups. <laughs> if we had the time, I'd ask you all, you men who are memorizing this, to stand and recite it from memory. But I'm not going to do that. You're off the hook. But this passage has been on our mind, and so I want to preach, especially, I'm going to read verses 1 to 14, but we will especially focus on 9 to 14. So follow along, either in your mind... <laughs> Or on the page or the screen. Colossians one one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. Just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to be asked that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things that I tell the men in the pastor's college is that as a pastor you you can't get tired of stating the obvious. And so I want to state the obvious to you. This passage is a prayer. Right? That's obvious. So should we think about the fact that this passage is a prayer or should we just acknowledge it's a prayer and move on? The fact that this is a prayer is very significant. And it's significant for two reasons. Number one, because this is a prayer, we know that these things are possible. The things that we're going to look at in this prayer are possible. The Holy Spirit inspired this prayer. The, the Holy Spirit inspired this prayer to be written down for us forever to tell us the kinds of things that are possible for us as Christians. These requests are legitimate requests. They continue to be legitimate requests. Not just for these people and 2,000 years ago, but for us. So in other words, this prayer shows us what God is up to. This is the kind of thing God wants for you. This is the kind of thing that God wants you to ask him for. So these things are possible for us. What is God up to? God's purpose in the gospel, God's purpose in making you a Christian is to get glory for himself by, by transforming you, by, by, by transforming your life. And that's what this prayer is for. It's a prayer for transformation. That is what God has for you. That is what God is up, is up to. He's not just about giving you a ticket to heaven, and now it's your job to write it out until you get there. He is changing you. And whenever you pray in accordance with his will, he he says he will hear you. Remember what John says in 1 John. If you pray according to God's will, he will hear you. And here is God's will. Recorded for us in scripture, this is how we should pray. These are the kinds of things we should pray for. Confident that we're perfectly in line with the will of God when we ask for these kinds of things. So that's the first thing. Because this is a prayer, we know that these things are possible. But number two, because this is a prayer, we know that these things are impossible. You understand? It's a prayer. It's not a list of things for you to do, primarily. It's a prayer that God would do these things, which means that it's impossible for you to do these things. Why ask God for these things if you can do it yourself? When Jesus spoke of this kind of transformation that is that is revealed for us in this prayer when he spoke of that kind of transformation to his disciples, the kind of transformation that's necessary for you to even see the kingdom of God. His disciples said this, then then if that's if if all that's true, then who can be saved? Do you remember what Jesus' answer is? With man, do you remember what, how it goes? With man, this is not possible. But with God, all things are possible with God. And that's exactly right. These things are utterly impossible if you read this prayer as a list of things that you need to do as, you know, handles on your boots that you need to pull on, right? <laughs> to lift yourself up then you will fail and you'll have none of them because they are impossible unless God gives them to you. So the fact that this is a prayer should be very encouraging for you. Yes, these things are possible for you. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. No, you cannot and you must not try to manufacture them on your own. They are gifts of God's grace and God loves to give these kinds of things. So this should be an encouraging fact. So this is a prayer. Now what's the occasion for the prayer? Verse 9. When does he pray this? Verse 9 he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask. What reason? Why is he praying these things? Verses 3 to 8 tell us the reason for Paul's prayer. Look at this. He says, starting in verse 3, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard, so this is when, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as we learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not stopped asking. Now, think about, think about what's going on there. Is there anything bad in verses 3 to 8? Any tragedies? Any difficult, any weakness, any sickness? Verses 3 to 8 is nothing but good news. We heard, we heard that you embraced the gospel. We heard that you believed in Jesus. We, that you, we heard that you have love for all the saints, the hope. We, we learned that you are constantly bearing fruit, that the gospel is constantly bearing fruit. We learned of your love for all, for all the saints and the Holy Spirit. Oh boy, we better pray for you. Exactly what he says, we better pray for you. we tend to pour our prayers in the direction of bad situation and bad news. the apostles tend to pour the direction of their prayers they pour their prayers in the direction of good news where they see God working. now look at our prayer request list in the bulletin. Look at it. Are those the kinds of things we should pray for? Yes. Yes, 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 of course. But the proportion seems to be kind of weird, doesn't it? Don't worry, we're going to still have the prayer list, and yes, if you have bad things happening, tell us and we'll pray for them. We'd love to pray for those things. But look at what the apostles do. Now let me show you something. Look at um, some other places. Ephesians 1. Get your Bible out and follow with me here. Ephesians 1:15. This is the kind of thing the apostles do all the time. Ephesians 1:15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, having heard that, faith in Jesus Christ, love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. It's exactly the same thing. I heard that God is at work in you, so I didn't stop praying for you. Philippians one nine. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. In order to make that, in order to pray that their love would abound still more and more, there has to be love there, right? I hear that these people love each other. I better pray for them that they love each other more and more. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. To this end also we pray for you, always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for you because you desire goodness and the work of faith with power. We've heard this, so we pray for you always. This is what the apostles do. They hear of the work of God, and they pour their prayers in the direction of God's working. <clears throat> Again, that doesn't mean that we should never pray for bad situations and seemingly, seemingly hopeless problems. We should always be praying for those kinds of things. But it does mean that we must more pour our prayers in the direction of God's obvious working. Now, why is that important? It's important for three reasons. Number one, it glorifies God. When we pray and we say, God, I see what you're doing, do it more. It acknowledges that God did it in the first place and it calls on him for more of it, and he loves it. It glorifies him. Number two, it strengthens our faith. Some of you, some of you do have the gift of praying long-term depressing prayers. You understand what I mean by that? Some of you have the gift of praying for someone for 30 years. (coughs) And you've seen the answer to God's prayers. I probably am the result of my mother praying for me for a long time. And I'm glad she didn't stop. And and some of you certainly are the same. But it gets kind of tiring, doesn't it? So start praying also where you see God at work. You see God at work producing humility, producing faith, producing love, producing obedience. Pray for that person. Pray for that church. Pray for those people. And you'll see God doing more of it, and your faith will be encouraged. God will be glorified. And third, it just simply follows the pattern that we have in the apostles. So we should do it. So this is a prayer which should both encourage us and humble us. These things are possible for us, but they're impossible for us apart from the work of God. And we should get in the habit of praying in the direction of God's working. Now, let's get to the meat of this passage and really look at the content of the prayer. What is it that he actually prays for? Verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you look at this carefully, you'll see that he really only asked for one thing. It's only really one thing that he asked for here. And everything else props it up or comes out of it. He really asked for one thing. Verse 9. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now look at those words. We pray and ask that you may be filled. That word filled is a graphic word. It's a word like filled like if you if you if you blew up a balloon and you know that if you put one more molecule of air in that thing, it's going to pop. Or if you have a glass of water, kids sometimes do this, they'll fill a glass of water so full that you can actually, if you look at it from the side, you can see there's a dome of water sitting on top, right? And if you just touch it, it's going to, it's going to spill, and the game is to see if you can walk across the room and not spill it on your carpet, right? That's full, it's as full as it can possibly get. That's what this word is. Filled, overflowing, abounding, filled to the brim with what? With the knowledge. This word knowledge, there are different words in the Bible for knowledge. And sometimes knowledge is about facts, it's academic, it's intellectual, it's the kind of thing you come to college to study. That's not this word. This is the word for experience, knowledge, knowledge that's full, knowledge that's deep because you've done it, because you've tasted it, because you've experienced it. It's the difference between knowing in theory that honey is sweet, having never tasted honey, but knowing in theory, yes, I know the fact that honey is sweet. It's the difference between that kind of knowledge and the knowledge of the person who sticks his finger in the pot and licks it and says, oh, oh. honey is sweet. That's the difference. That's the kind of knowledge he's talking about. That you would be filled to the overflowing, abounding, filled to the brim with true knowledge, experiential knowledge, deep knowledge, of what? Of God's will. Now, what do we think of when we think of God's will? Let me ask a question. How many of you have read a book... Or been to a conference or a seminar or something, listen to a talk on finding the will of God. Come on, raise your hands high. I raise them high. Okay. Now what do you what did they mean by that? Why is that one of the most popular things for college students to to to, to read or to hear or to listen to? Because what we what we mean by that is, okay, tell me who I should marry, how do I figure out who I should marry, how do I figure out what job I should study for, should I take this job or that job, should I move to this place or that, I need to know the will of God, it must be difficult because there's so many books written about it, it must be a trick, it must be hard, and so when we think of the will of God, we think of me. What's God's will for me? What am I supposed to do right now? That's not what he's talking about here. This is the knowledge of God's will. This is the knowledge of that which pleases God, that which God desires, what God wants. It's that kind of will. And think of what this says. The prayer is that we would be filled, overflowing with this true, deep, experiential knowledge of what God wants of you. That's what it means. What does he want of you? Not should you take this job or that to move here or there, but what does he want of you? What would your life look like if you were filled with the knowledge of his will like that? Would there be any difference? Would it make any difference? Why do we need to keep writing books about this if this is something we can pray for and receive in fullness? What would your life look like if you knew fully the will of God, that which he delights in, that which pleases him? This is possible for you. It's perfectly possible for you because God wants you to be filled with this kind of knowledge. Now, look at this. He modifies that basic request with two things in verse 9. He says, To ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. Wisdom, the ability to, to grasp, to put together, understanding, the ability to put things together and to see and to live out of them. That's what he's asking for. But again, this is only possible by the power of the working of God. It's only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not primarily intellectual, academic, theoretical knowledge. It's spiritual wisdom and understanding. That means it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the working of the Holy Spirit. Which is good news, because that means it's not limited to the smart and the sophisticated. In fact, it's just the opposite. You can't have it if you're proud, because because it's a gift of God's grace through the Holy Spirit, and God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is not some secret knowledge that you have to be really smart to get. It comes as a gift of the Holy Spirit to those who are humble, Spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he prays that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But why? Why? What would it be like if this prayer stopped there? It would be kind of smoky, right, kind of, not, I mean, we want something more to hang on to, something solid. And that's exactly what God gives us, because he tells us why, verse 10. We have not ceased to pray for you, verse 9, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Think of how significant that so that is. What he's saying is that knowledge is for obedience. Knowledge is for obedience. That's what the word walk means. The word walk means, so that you'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk means practical, concrete, specific, observable obedience to God. Worthy means in a way that equals, in a way that's, that's appropriate for God. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Live out the the little public and private, seen and unseen details of your life in a way that equals the holiness of God. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that this knowledge that he prays for in verse 9 is not just for you to sit on, not for you to enjoy, not for you to have, you know, esoteric, spiritual, deep thoughts. It's so that you'll stop arguing with your husband. It's so that you'll stop disobeying your parents. It's so that you'll stop hating your wife. And if it doesn't lead to that, then it's not real. It has to go there. That's what it's for. So knowledge is for obedience. Now there's a bigger truth there that I want to back up and look at. If knowledge is for obedience, that's just a subset of something bigger. And I want to look at something bigger for a moment. Salvation is for obedience. Your salvation is for obedience. It's what it's for. God saved you so that you would obey. The ultimate purpose of your salvation is not so that you'll go to heaven when you die. The ultimate purpose of your salvation is so that you will obey him right now. How can I say that? Well, follow along. We're going to seven places, okay? So so lum- limber up those thumbs. Romans 8. <clears throat> Romans 8, 1 to 4. 8:1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what's that talking about? Salvation, right? Justification, forgiveness of sin, standing before God holy and blameless uh, beyond reproach. Right? no condemnation, no no hell. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For, he explains how that can be, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Yeah, that's right. That means I don't have to go to hell when I die. That's great, right? For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the, the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Praise God, he took away the the condemnation of my sin. Right? That's true, that's what it says. Why? Look at verse 4. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Yeah, yeah, so he's talking about justification by faith, right? God takes the righteousness of Christ and gives it to us. That's what he's talking about, right? No, it's not. That's what verse 1 is talking about. It's not what verse 4 is talking about. What verse 4 is talking about is this. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk, there's that word again, according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He's talking about obedience, Jesus Christ declared no condemnation Jesus God the Father sent the Son to live a righteous life to condemn sin in the flesh so that you would obey so that you could obey so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit this is talking about obedience look at Romans 8:29 a couple of places where God peels back the veil and shows us what, what was going on before God made the world and why he did this. Romans 8:29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son <clears throat> so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Before the creation of the world, God said, I want children who look like Jesus. And so he saved you so that you would be conformed to the image of his son. So that Jesus Christ would be surrounded by sons who look just like him. Brothers who look just like him. That is the point. To be conformed to the image of his son. 2 Corinthians 5.15 Talking about the death of Christ, the cross, the gospel. But there's a point. Start in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5:14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. <coughs> and he died for all so that they who live, so that they who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Why did he die? He died so that you'd stop living for yourself. That's the point. Whatever comes after the so that is the point. That's the point. He died so that you would obey him, so that you would stop living for yourself and live instead for him. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship... Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This is a passage about the gospel. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, but God who is rich in mercy, by grace you are saved, not of yourself, gift of God, for you are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. The whole point is good works. Not just going to heaven, not just getting off the hook, but obedience. Look at chapter 5, Ephesians 5. This is everywhere. And I want you to see that it's everywhere. So bear with me. Chapter 5, verse 25. We think of this passage primarily when we think of husbands and wives and weddings, which is right for us to think about this passage with weddings and husbands and wives. He's talking to husbands, but he says something Glorious about the purpose of Christ in your salvation, in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so what's that? That's the cross, that's the death, that's the gospel, that's, right? Gave himself up for her so that he might justify her. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No. So that he might sanctify her. That's the point. Justification is he laid down his life for her and gave himself up for her in her place so that he might sanctify her. It's the point, it's the purpose. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. One more, first Peter one. Lest you think it's just Paul. First <laughs> Peter one, one and two. Again, pulling back the veil before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1, verse 1 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. That's the point. To obey Jesus Christ. So, knowledge is for obedience. Salvation is for obedience. It's not just to get you to heaven when you die. It's so that now you would obey him. And that's what this prayer is about. I pray that you would know, be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So, if knowledge is for obedience, what's obedience for? If knowledge is for obedience, what's obedience for? This passage tells us. Obedience is for pleasure, verse 10. So that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Obedience is for pleasure. We can get on board with that, can't we? After all, life is about pleasure, right? But it's not your pleasure, is it? God's pleasure so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects do you does that, does that resonate with you? Do you when you read that do you think yeah that is what I want I want the pleasure of God or does that, is that totally foreign to you is there any traction with you when Paul says that do you want God's pleasure do you think that obedience will always bring you pleasure? Do you think that obedience will always bring you pleasure? Be very careful here, because if you think if you think shallowly, you will think, yeah, yeah. The, the Bible says that it'll, I'll be happy if I obey, so that's why I should be Obey, so I'll be happy. Now in a sense it's true isn't it because ultimately you will be happy <laughs> obedience ultimately will will bring you joy but there might be a a stake and flames before now and then you understand sometimes obedience every one of us knows this anyone who struggles with any kind of sin <laughs> which is all of us knows that obedience sometimes feels like ripping the skin off your face. Oh, I know, I'll obey because it'll be great. It'll be like ripping the skin off my face. So if we think that we'll only obey when it gives us pleasure, guess when we'll obey, when we will obey? We won't. We won't. Because sometimes it's just... Awful. Isn't it? So there has to be something bigger. There has to be something bigger than that. And here it is. We don't obey primarily because it brings us pleasure. We obey primarily because it brings God pleasure. But in order for that to work, you have to fear him. You have to know him. You have to honor him. You have to love him or else you you just won't care what pleases God. So that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. So knowledge is for obedience, obedience is for pleasure, but what is obedience? Quickly, he tells us. He tells us four things, and these things are just like meat that's been cooking for a long time, and it falls right off the bone, okay? It's so easy to see what he's saying here. Four things. Here's what he means. Here's what pleases him. Number one, bearing fruit in every good work. There's a lot that could be said about that, isn't there? Bearing fruit. Jesus says, I am um, the vine, you are the branches. Any, any branch that does not bear fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire. Any branch that bears fruit, he trims it, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. Fruitfulness is at the heart of the Christian life. Again, it's what it's for. Bearing fruit, there's life. There's growth. Bearing fruit in every good work. What does that mean? It's not rocket science. We know what every good work is because Jesus tells us. Remember when Jesus says in Matthew 25, you were hungry, I was hungry, and you fed me. Remember this? I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, I was in prison, you visited me. And the people say, well, when did we we do that? When you did it to someone else, one of my brothers. James says in James chapter 1, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Okay, so don't be greedy. Stop looking at pornography. Stop acting and thinking like the world. And go visit people who need something. Good works. It's not rocket science. But man, is that missing from us, isn't it? We like the private, personal, secret good works, but not the obvious ones that God commands us. So that's one bearing fruit in every good work. Number two, increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 10, you're not allowed to be ignorant of God. You must increase, you must grow in your knowledge of him. Your growth in the knowledge of God is a matter of obedience. It's what pleases God. Grow in your knowledge of him. Jeff Moore is going to be teaching a class on God uh, starting in December. If you haven't taken the class, take it. Because it's wrapped up with your obedience. Grow in your knowledge of God. Number three, strengthened with all power, verse 11. Strengthened with all power. If you're walking around weak, unable to fight your sin, you're not a victim, you're just disobeying God. You have access to power. Strengthened with all power, how? According to his glorious might. Not from his glorious might, but according to it in keeping with how big his glorious might is, you can be strengthened with that kind of power. Why? For the attaining of steadfastness and patience. And that simply means you need to be strengthened with glorious might in order to put up with the troubles of this world and to put up with your wife. Steadfastness, stuff that happens to you, patience is people. You need to be strengthened with God's glorious might in order to do that. And number four, joyously giving thanks to the Father, verse 12. Joyously giving thanks. You cannot walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You cannot please him in all respects apart from joy and thankfulness. That's what it looks like to please God. Bearing fruit, increasing in your knowledge of God, strengthened for steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. All of that can be yours. It is yours, and you have access to it, and you can pray for it legitimately and with faith if the rest of the passage is true of you. Now look very quickly at verses 12 to 14. If this is true of you, this prayer is yours, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If those things are yours, then this prayer is yours. The opposite is also true. What if none of these things are true of you? Some of you are completely unqualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Some of you are still bound under the domain, the rule, the kingdom, the authority of darkness. Some of you have no redemption and no forgiveness of sins. This prayer is not for you. There are wonderful, rich, glorious things in this prayer, and you don't want any of them. Because you don't want King Jesus to be your king. And you think that you're avoiding being ruled. If Jesus, I don't want to be ruled. I don't want Jesus to be my king. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I, I don't want that. That's awful. And so you think that you're free. What does the passage say? You've rejected God, you've rejected his rule over you. What does the passage say? Some of us have been rescued from the domain of darkness. But you're still there. The rule, the authority, the kingdom, the power, you're a slave. You're a slave to darkness. We have a good king. We have King Jesus who loves his people, who even laid down his life for them who delights to give us good gifts, who we can pray to and ask for these kinds of things, and he loves to give them to us. And you have the devil, the father of lies, the one who comes to steal and destroy, the one who wants to kill you, and you think you're free? You have a malevolent king, we have a good king, and you think you're better off? You have no freedom at all. The slave of darkness, death, destruction, bound in sin, you can't stop. Your only hope is to bow your knee to King Jesus and to be transferred, to be rescued. You need to be rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his Son, his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins, and those things can be yours if you'll bow your knee to Christ. Brothers and sisters, pray this prayer for yourself in faith. Trust God to give these things to you. Pray this prayer for people that you see God working in, Let's pray.